So let's get to that kingdom business right now. 2 Kings chapter 17 verse 19 was our stopping point last week. And in particular, we left off studying a poor choice the nation of Judah made. And so I'd like to reread the verse. That's verse 19 where it says, And also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. So we compared last week the, what Judah did to what the average church is doing today. And that is walking in the statutes of the wrong believing churches which they have made. It's not any different. And we're going to continue expounding upon the phrase, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they had made. The nation of Judah, which was comprised of only two of the twelve tribes, that being Judah and Benjamin, was doing what their larger ten-tribe sister Israel was doing when it came to walking in the statutes which Israel made. Israel made statutes, they walked in them rather than the ones the Lord had given them. And when we learn about the children of Israel, whether divided as they were here, or one nation as they were before King Rehoboam, We're learning about the church. And just as Judah would have done well to ignore what Israel was doing, then you and I would do well to ignore what other churches or online pastors are doing and to focus on doing what God's Word says this church ought to do. Take care of that, and then we won't have to worry about any of those other things. And... I'd like to take this time to share something with you along those lines. I have a particular brother in mind who I've uh, I've known him for years. He's a brother in the Lord. He doesn't go to church here. He doesn't live in this city, so you're not going to know who he is. But this may help others who I've uh, cautioned online before and uh, so forth. So if you're tuning in and this has been something you've faced a problem with, then please listen. I know some of you listen to and read after preachers and teachers on the internet. And I'm not totally against that, but I generally discourage it. Generally. Not 100%. And the reason is, you probably don't know what those preachers and teachers believe. If their doctrine is right, and you probably don't have time to do that much research on them to make that decision. And some of you get confused at the things that they say. It's easy to do because some of them are very eloquent. They make sense. And I'm going to confess to you, I have been confused before. And I've read volumes of books by different pastors and teachers. And boy, what they said about this doctrine or that doctrine sounded good. But... It wasn't all correct. And when you get confused at what they say, whether you're here, whether you're online, or whether it's my dear brother that I'm speaking about, who do you come to to get your questions answered? 
Can you come to Brother Andy and Brother Fulton? And we don't have the time to go vet these people and to look at every doctrine they believe and all the things they've said about the Bible. We just don't have the time to do that. And so what I, and this isn't sarcastic at all, why don't you ask that pastor what he meant? You know why you don't? Because you can't get a hold of them. And so Brother Fulton and I love studying and teaching God's Word, and we love explaining it, and that's what we want to do. But we would like to answer the questions you have about what we teach. I think I can speak for him when I say that. If I teach something and you say, i got to ask him a question about that. Well, you come on. I'd rather answer that question than talk about anything else that day. You come on with that question. Whether you want to ask me in person or send me a text or an email, that's what I want to answer because I know what I read. I know what I studied, and I can more thoroughly answer your question. But if you ask me what so-and-so taught, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you about that. And I think I can say the same thing for Brother Fulton. If you ever have any question about something he teaches, maybe you want to be enlightened or have a better understanding, I promise you, you can ask him and he will explain it to you. He'll take the time to do that. Now, that's what we're supposed to do. So don't come away thinking, well, Brother Andy said I can't ever ask him any questions about Bible doctrine. You know better than that. And if you have a question about what someone else is teaching, then logically you ought to ask that teacher about it. But I know you can't get a hold of those teachers to get your questions answered. So I wonder if you're asking yourself, well, is is Brother Andy saying I should never listen to any preaching but his and Brother Fulton's? No, I'm not. But that's not a horrible idea either, as long as we're teaching the Bible. Now, if we weren't teaching the Bible, I'd say you go find somebody who is. But if you're wanting to hear, if you're saying, okay, the reason I do that is I want to hear biblical teaching throughout the week. I want to fill my mind with God's Word. I got an answer for you. We have recorded messages verse by verse for years, and they're archived on Facebook. So if you wanted to take the Genesis to Jesus class, and you may say, well, I've already been through that. So have I. And I don't remember everything. It was called the Creation to Christ class, and I've even taught it a couple of times. And I don't remember every single lesson in there. I'm pretty familiar with them. But I don't remember every message that was ever taught here. I don't remember every message I ever taught. And neither do you. So if you wanted to fill your mind with God's Word, good Bible teaching, go back and start in Lesson 1 and listen to one message every day. And that'll give you about 50 days. That's about a month and a half worth of solid Bible teaching from our pastor. When you get done with that, go back, if you're willing to hear me out again, and find 1 Samuel. And start in 1 Samuel and work your way all the way up to 2 Samuel and 1 Kings, and maybe even re-listen to this again. Or go back and listen to Jeremiah You started to say, didn't you? But I think you get the point there. And 
I don't, what I want you to do, if this has happened to you, is quit letting yourself get confused by what other teachers, what other denominations or other churches are doing or preaching or practicing. And stay with the teaching that has helped you most. That's what I want to do. And I've told Brother Fulton this two or three times over the the, decades now that we've known each other. I said, you're the best Bible teacher I've ever had. And I mean, I've read some of the most famous Bible teachers, but none of them could take the complex and make it to where I could understand it like he has. And if that's the same with you, why would you listen to anybody else? But you make that decision. And you think about how much time you spend skipping around the Internet looking for that inspiring message or that, that dynamic preacher. And after you hear their various opinions on things, sometimes you end up getting confused. Now let me tell you why that happens. Because you're not systematically studying God's Word with them. They're not systematically teaching it to you. They're giving you a topic here and telling you what they think about it. And then they go over here and get you another topic, make up a cute title for it. And you're trying to piece all those things together with what you've heard, and it's hard to make sense of it. It is for me, too. But if you find a church, hopefully it's this one, but if it's not, and I'm, again, I'm speaking to online people, too. If you find a church where systematic verse-by-verse teaching takes place and helps you to understand the Bible, then you stay there. Don't go anywhere else. And use the time you spend on other preachers to listen or re-listen to the teaching available to you here. I have a, as I said earlier, I've got a dear Christian friend and he's got a church with its very own pastor. Imagine that. And however, from time to time, my dear friend will email me a list of Bible questions about which he is confused. Now, I love him and I take the time to respond to his questions thoughtfully. But I can't help but wonder where his pastor is in all this. Has he gone and asked his own pastor about these questions rather than asking me? And I really wish he would come to church with us, whether online or in person, and learn right along with us. I think it would benefit him greatly. Okay, well, I'm done with that, but only for now, because I will certainly have to address it again. But the takeaway here is, as we would tell Judah, stop worrying about what other churches and other preachers are doing. Use God's Word as your text and your guide and not the practice of other churches. Israel went astray. Judah don't practice what they practice, but they did it anyway. Oh, that they would have just used God's Word. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the promises of God. They had the prophecies about Jesus. They had protection from their enemies while they were uh, under, they were submitted to God's authority and His Word until they rejected it all. Until they rejected all of those things to do as their bigger sister Israel did. Now look in verse 20. If you've just joined us, we're 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 20. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel. Now this refers to the ten tribes in the northern kingdom whose capital was Samaria. And you'll see that our context will show us it doesn't also refer to Judah. 
Now, the word rejected here means refused. It means what you think it means. Refused, even despised. And as Israel treated God's word, so God treated them. They rejected his word. He said, I reject the seed of Israel. But God didn't only reject these infidels, these unbelievers. It says he also afflicted them. Listen to how the word for afflicted is translated in Zechariah chapter 10, verses 1 through 2. Zechariah 10, verses 1 through 2. This will give you a good picture of what is happening to Israel here in their affliction. And in that chapter of, of Zechariah, it is where God promises one day to bless Israel and Judah. So here's what it says. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. For the idols have spoken vanity, and the diviners have seen a lie. We studied about divination recently. And have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. In other words, they're patting people on the back saying, it's okay when it's not okay. Therefore, they went their way as a flock. They were troubled. Now that's the word for afflicted. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. Man, there is a mountain of doctrine in that part of that verse. They went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd or they were afflicted. Now, Israel rejected the Lord as their shepherd, and they turned to idols. And Zechariah testified that those idols, those who worship the idols, the diviners and all of those, they all fit into one group, that they spoke vanity, that they saw lies. They told false dreams, and they comforted in vain. And none of this helped Israel. Just because someone's patting you on the back saying it's okay doesn't mean it's okay and it doesn't mean it's helping you. Sometimes it is not okay. And all, of, all this did was leave Israel troubled, afflicted. And if you reject God's word, don't think for just a moment that he will only reject you and then just leave you alone. No, you're going to be afflicted. You're not going to go merrily on your way. You'll be troubled. And you may think, well, I know some people who reject God's word, and they seem to be just as happy as a clam, however happy that is. But they're not. They, too, have to lay their heads down at night and wonder, what's going to happen to me if I don't wake up? They, too, have near misses in life misfortunes as they might call them and worry about what's going to happen to them are they going to be okay they don't have any hope like we do in Jesus and so they're not okay they're troubled they're afflicted and a person is afflicted when he has no shepherd not only did God reject Israel and afflict them look back in the text in verse 20 it says 
He delivered them into the hand of the spoilers. When they rejected God as their head, God delivered them to spoilers to reign over them. So as we've learned before, you're never out there on your own submitting to no one. You have either submitted yourself to the Lord or you've submitted yourself to the devil. You're going to be ruled over. And the spoiler is ready to do that. When God would be their shepherd and lead them, instead they listened to the diviners and worshipped idols. They listened to the enchanters who offered them nothing but lies. So God said, okay, we'll let the spoilers shepherd you. You'll be that flock. But you're following after the spoilers now, so they'll shepherd you. See how that goes. A spoiler in the Bible, from the Hebrew word, it means one who robs or plunders. In fact, a spoiler is the opposite of a shepherd. You have a spoiler and you have a shepherd. We're going to learn about that in the next few moments. It's important that we learn about the spoiler because that's who most people follow whether they realize it or not. A spoiler does not lead the sheep in a way that cares for them. Oh, he'll lead them, but he doesn't care for them. The spoiler will certainly not lay down his life for the sheep. Instead, he'll use the sheep for his own benefit and then just toss them aside. Listen to how the prophet describes, this is Isaiah, how he describes what a spoiler does to its captives. Isaiah 42, verse 22. Isaiah 42, verse 22. Speaking of Israel, the ten tribes, but this is a people robbed and spoiled. Now, spoiled doesn't mean they always got their way and never got disciplined. Spoiled here means they were robbed and plundered. This is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison. They are for a prey, and none delivereth. For a spoil, and none saith, restore. So how wicked is the spoiler to the people? Rather than rescuing them, that verse said he snares them. He traps them. Rather than giving them freedom, he imprisons them. And rather than feeding them, he preys upon them. They become his food. The spoil does not deliver, or the spoiler does not deliver, he enslaves Now, this verse from Isaiah can be applied in a literal sense, seeing this is exactly what happens when one nation takes captives from another nation. We saw a recent display of that from Hamas as they stormed into Israel and took captives, not only Israelis, but people from other countries, Americans, Thai, uh, and 
probably some others, Irish, a little nine-year-old Irish girl, who took them captives. And look how they treated them. They tortured them. They raped them. They imprisoned them and killed many of them. But whereas this truth is, uh, this truth about the spoiler is earthly, it's also spiritual. I asked you earlier to mark your place in Colossians chapter 2. So hopefully you did that and you can flip over there or scroll over there. Colossians chapter 2, as we learn about the spoiler and the shepherd. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. As Paul wrote to these Colossian Christians, he said, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now this is these two verses capture what is expected when you are led by the shepherd, with a capital S, the Lord Jesus. Now let's see what you can expect when you're led by the spoiler. Look down in verse 8, same chapter. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments or principles of the world, and not after Christ. Now we're getting some good doctrine here, so pay close attention. If you look at verse 8, you see what happens when you accept the teaching of philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men and according to the principles of this world. You get spoiled. You get carried away captive. And in fact, the word spoil translated from the Greek means approximately the same thing as it does in the Hebrew. It means to carry away captive. And in this case... Spiritually speaking, it's to carry someone captive away from the truth, to capture them from the truth. I'll give you two examples of how that happens here in the Bible. First one is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And you can turn back to 2 Kings if you like. I may refer back to the Colossian passage, but we won't reread it. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If, peradventure, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now those people in that verse about whom the Apostle Paul wrote had rejected the truth. He said, 
The teacher has to teach patiently, in meekness, gently, instructing those who oppose themselves so that God will give them repentance. That is a change of mind, that they would change their minds and acknowledge the truth. And by not acknowledging the truth, they had been in a snare. The devil had taken them captive in a snare. And the only way to get out of that snare was to repent. The only way to recover from that snare was to repent and acknowledge the truth. To be freed from the spoiler, the devil, people need to repent unto the acknowledging of the truth. And Paul knew that. So he instructed Timothy, just like he instructs us, Brother Fulton, myself, and all the other teachers and preachers in the world, those who are in the Lord's church. All of us are instructed to patiently teach the captives. That's the only way for them to be set free from the snare of the spoiler. We don't have anything else we can give them to recover from the snare of the spoiler. All we have to give them is the truth. So psychology, according to man's principles, the secular humanism, the positive thinking, all of those things are not what will recover people from the snare that the devil has laid for them. The snare that is surely to capture them when they do not accept God's word. Now, a second Bible example of what happens when you accept the philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men according to the rudiments or principles of the world is this. Now, don't forget, this was what Israel did when they rejected God's commandments and walked, or Judah, excuse me, and walked in the worldly commandments their sister made. But Israel led off by rejecting God's commandments as we studied in the last few weeks. All right, this second example is found in 2 Timothy as well. It's chapter 3. Verses 2 through 7. 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 7. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, stopping right there in that description, if you go back and look at that, it starts off with saying, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, that's what starts it all off. And all of those things that follow, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, all of that are from that self-love. Now, you may say, well, I thought we... Jesus said that we were supposed to love ourselves. He said you nourish and cherish your flesh. No man ever yet hated his own flesh. But we're not to be led by our flesh. This passage is written in this context that they love their own selves rather than God. They love their own selves first before God. Now I know of a, a couple who were uh, married. I knew their dad and their grandfather. And this young girl married a young man who appeared to be a Christian. I don't know whether he is or not. I don't know whether she is or not, but they sure said they were. Well, they recently divorced, and they have their own Facebook pages now, 
And on their Facebook pages, both of them say something like this. I'm in love with the new me. It's all about them, not a word about God and what he can do and what he's done for them or how much they need him, but all about me. It's lovers of their own selves. And again, I don't know what their spiritual condition is, but I do know what the Bible says, that when you love your own self above God, which is the implication here, then all of these sins follow. They're just an outgrowth of loving yourself more than you love God. Because if you love God right, then you'll love yourself correctly. You'll see yourself as God sees you rather than as you want to see yourself. So after all that, it says, continuing in that same passage, 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 7, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort, that is, these self-lovers, of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, that's a mouthful. There's a lot there. But in that passage, the spoiler is described in great detail. And so are his actions in this verse toward silly women. The spoilers creep into houses to do what? To lead now, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd leads, right? Do you see that? A spoiler leads, but he leads differently than the shepherd leads. And did you also see that as the spoiler leads, the silly women are led? The followers of the spoiler are led, but they are led differently than the sheep are led. This is critical. And those who follow the spoiler in that passage in Timothy are described as, quote, ever learning. That means they're always learning something. Yes, they learn all sorts of things. They learn what Paul described to the Colossians as philosophy, which is the pursuit of wisdom. Now, wisdom is a wonderful thing, isn't it? But what did he tell them about their philosophy he said, you follow in this philosophy in vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments, the principles of the world. And that's not the philosophy you need to adopt. But this philosophy that these silly women are ever learning is according to those traditions of men and the principles of the world system. And all this learning does not bring them to the knowledge of the truth. The spoiler doesn't lead them to the knowledge of the truth. And by following him, they are not led to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't that something? That the very aim of philosophy is truth. But the philosophy of this world leads the follower away from truth. And both the spoiler and the shepherd are leading their followers to a certain destination. But only one of them is leading his followers to the truth. And it's not the spoiler, as we just read. Now, we've learned an awful lot here in this short time about the spoiler and about those who follow him. So let's look at the shepherd and those who follow him. That's a lot more exciting, by the way. First of all, let's contrast the motive of the shepherd and the spoiler. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, 
John 10.10, Jesus is speaking and he says, the thief. Now, what's a thief? That's someone who steals. What's a spoiler? That's someone who steals, isn't it? Okay, so here's the lesson. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, anywhere in there, did you hear that he came to bring them truth or to lead them to truth? No. The, the thief, the spoiler, came to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The spoiler comes with the motivation to destroy. The shepherd comes with the motivation to give life. Now let's contrast the method of the spoiler with the method of the shepherd. And it's in John 10, 11, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Get this now. The spoiler gives up the life of the sheep for his own life. The shepherd gives his own life to give life to the sheep. And that's what Jesus did when he gave his life on Calvary. And that's why he calls us his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He's not the spoiler, he's the shepherd. What about the difference between the spoiler and the shepherd when it comes to truth? Now we already read this from 2 Timothy 3 verses 2 through 7 and we saw that the spoiler leads his followers away captive. And they learn a lot, but they never arrive at the liberating destination of the truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, as Jesus was speaking to the Jews, it says, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So those who believe on Jesus continue in his word. They know the truth, and that truth makes them free. That truth does not lead them away captive, but it delivers them from captivity. It recovers them from the snare. And Paul has already instructed preachers to preach God's word in order to lead people out of spiritual captivity. So to preach any other thing or any other gospel is to lead men into captivity and just leave them there. How compassionate is that? Somebody may say, well, I'm this church I go to, the preacher is just so nice and he's so affirming. And I know there's some trap words I listen for. He's so affirming. Oh, so that does that mean that he says okay with whatever you do, whatever your sin is? That, and that's affirming? That's leading you into captivity. And the end of the verse, go back to your text in 2 Kings 17, and let's look at the end of verse 20. God did all this. He rejected, afflicted, delivered until he had cast them out of his sight. Now, we covered this somewhat difficult concept last week, that God who sees all 
could cast Israel out of his sight. How could that be? So tune in to last week's message if you need a little more detail on that. But we saw how he could. And looking at this verse, again, we see that that phrase means that Israel was taken by the spoilers to a place that was not in the land into which God had delivered his people. God's sight was on Israel. He said, I'm going to remove them out of my sight. It's not that he couldn't see them. It's that where he was focused, like that microscope we talked about last week, where he was focused was right here. He can see everywhere else just fine. But that would be the only way we might understand what it means to remove, for God to remove the people out of his sight. Now look in verse 21. I'm going to read verses 21 and 22. For he rent Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them. Now these verses go way back in time. And they remind us about what God did to Israel when Solomon died. And it was because of Israel's wickedness. And in his latter days, in his terrible ending, Solomon sinned greatly. And I want to reread what God did and said in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 through 11. It's 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 through 11. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. And that servant was Jeroboam. And God spared Judah so David would always have a light in Israel. And because that's the tribe from whom the Lord Jesus Christ would come. And Israel's disobedience, sadly enough, although we focus on Jeroboam, it could actually be traced to Solomon's latter days on the throne. The one to whom God would give the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, would become one of the most wicked kings Israel ever saw and that the world ever knew. And he's referenced right here in our text. And over the years we've studied the evil that Jeroboam did as well as the evil of many kings who followed in his wicked ways. And their epitaph said so about them. And as the kings followed Jeroboam's wicked ways, sadly so did the people. And that's what made the tragedy even worse. But you know Jeroboam was just another spoiler. He led his followers away from the truth of God's word. Look in verse 23 now. This is a continuation of the sentence from verse 22. 
until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. Well, what did the prophet say? That verse said the prophet said something about this. Well, here is what one prophet said. His name was Ahijah. Back in 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 15 through 16, which is several generations before the time we're reading about now in King Hosea's day. 1 Kings 14, verses 15 through 16. For the Lord shall smite Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and he shall root up Israel out of this good land. Now what's he doing right here? He's rooting up Israel out of this good land which he gave to their fathers, and shall scatter them beyond the river, because they have made their groves, provoking the Lord to anger. And he shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, who did sin and who made Israel to sin. Once again, speaking of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. So in our text is a plain declaration that God has fulfilled what his prophet Ahijah said in Jeroboam's day. God said, I'm going to do this. Ahijah said, here's what God's going to do. And now we're in 2 Kings 17, and God's doing it, isn't he? In fact, he's already done it. We're being told uh, in a type of review of history here what God has done. God's now rejected Israel. He's given them up, and he has scattered them by delivering them into the hands of the Assyrians. Next week, Lord willing, we will pick up with verse 24 and see what happens in the land from which the children of Israel were taken. Something's happening back home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who tuned in, those who came Listen to the teaching of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from this, that all of the lessons that Israel should have learned, that we would at least learn and not be hard-headed and not provoke you into anger, but to be led to the truth and to follow always the shepherds leading and never into the hands of the spoiler. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.